Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Good morning, friends. Thanks for joining us today for our podcast. Have a really interesting postcard today from La Guyane, which is really the South American country, Guyana. And this interesting postcard is from Charlene Larimore. Charlene's been listening for three years, and she worked in the space industry. I guess there's a a plant down there in Guyana. But to check out this postcard. Really, really cool. So um, anyway, Charlene lives in Gonzales, Louisiana. And thank you for thinking about us, for listening, and for sharing the postcard, Charlene. Hope you're listening today. We are in Mark chapter number 10, and we are in verse number 32. So uh, Jesus has been talking a lot about what it means truly to invest faith in him, what it means truly. What does faith look like? What does a, a an invested faith, how does it show up in a person's life? And so often in the ministry of Jesus, he would speak about money, not in the sense that a that a modern televangelist does, because usually a modern televangelist speaks in terms of getting money, you know, using the ministry as a means of getting money. But that's not that's not how Jesus talked about money. No, Jesus talked about money in the sense that don't allow money to rule you because it's that money that we love. It's what what that money can get us. It's materialism. It's stuff. It's all of that. That's why the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not money that's a problem. We all have money. It's 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 it does money have me and what money represents? Does it drive my priorities? Does it affect my heart? That's why the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we better treasure the things that matter, treasure the eternal things. That's what Jesus was driving at in Matthew 6 verses 19 through 20, when he said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And what a great teaching that is. We're here in Mark chapter 10, verse number 32, So let's go ahead and just begin. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And I want to just provide a little bit of chronological context here. So as you study the Gospels and collate them, put the events together, what you're learning is that in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is already in the last few weeks of of his life on earth. Of course, we know Jesus is eternal, but... Uh, his life on earth before his crucifixion. 
and he's making his final journey toward Jerusalem. These are very tense days because Lazarus has already been raised from the dead. That event really uh, caused a a great rift uh, among the populace of the day, whereas the religious leaders were just dead set against Jesus and said, we got to get rid of him. And others are, wow, he can raise people from the dead. This must be Messiah. So this great uh, tension is developing. And now as Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem for the final Passover of his ministry, it's all going to come to a head as we know and as we shall see. So when the Bible says here in verse number 32 that they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, the Bible says, and Jesus went before them. Interesting. So typically when groups would travel to Jerusalem, they would travel as families and as sometimes whole villages would go to the feast together. It was safer that way, more festive that way. And the Bible says Jesus is going before them. So he's preceding the group. Now, why? Well, I think we have a clue here in verse 32 when it says Jesus went before them, they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. So they were amazed and afraid. Amazed, I think, in the sense that Jesus is doing things, saying things. Remember last episode, they're astonished at his teaching. He's saying some things that are just bold and and they, they're convinced he's the Messiah, and yet he said some things about dying, and they're just trying to figure it all out. And in that sense, there's an amazement, but also in that sense, there is a fear. They're amazed and they're afraid. I think they're afraid because, wow, the, the religious leaders and even the governmental authorities have kind of put an edict out on the life of Jesus and if we go near Jerusalem, think bad things are going to happen. And we're associated with him. Remember when Jesus was crucified, how they, on the night of betrayal, they forsook him and fled when he was arrested. They were afraid for their own lives. And during that time when Jesus was in the grave, remember, for fear of the Jews, they were legitimately afraid. Uh, just a, a couple weeks before this, when Jesus was going back to Bethany, just, just close to Jerusalem, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. Remember, Thomas said, well, I guess we'll just go and die with you. <laughs> Why would he say something like that? Because there was already this, this uh, attention, negative attention on the ministry of Jesus that had started at the Feast of Dedication back in January. So just understand that all of these emotions are going on. There's amazement. There is a bit of confusion about the nature of Jesus' ministry. There is fear, and yet Jesus is leading the way. He has set his face like a flint to go to, toward Jerusalem. Jesus was born to die. Jesus knows what he's going to face. Now, humanly speaking, that's not easy. Uh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He would pray just a little while later. But the point is, Jesus was not shrinking back from his life's purpose to seek and to save that which was lost, to pay sin's penalty. So Jesus is leading the way. They are amazed. They are afraid. Uh, look at verse number 32. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the 12 and began to tell them 
what things should happen unto him. So he continues his ministry of clarification. Now, when did this ministry of clarification begin? It really began there in Caesarea Philippi, way up north, when they declared him, remember Peter, thou art the Christ. Uh, That's the great confession. But right after that great confession, Jesus began to teach them, okay, now you know that I am the Messiah, but do you really know who Messiah is? Do you really know what the Bible says about Messiah, that he will be a suffering servant, that he will be that lamb led to the slaughter, that he must die? Now, that they weren't understanding that. And as Jesus reiterated that, taught them over and over again, no, I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer there. I will die there. They just were not getting it. So now again, Jesus gathers the 12. Can you picture them somewhere along the roadside? Can you picture them at a stopping point, drinking some water, getting some rest, receiving some teaching? And watch what he says to them in verse number 33, saying, behold, So anytime you see the word behold in the Bible, it just pay special attention to this. So behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the son of man. So often Jesus would refer to himself as the son of man. So in one sense, that means I represent all of of man. I am man. He is all God, all man. But remember, Jesus as a human being did what we could not do in fulfilling the law. Jesus, as a human being, uh, suffered what we should suffer for sin on the cross, the Son of Man. But also, the Son of Man is a messianic title. So if you, for instance, go back to the book of Daniel in chapter 7, I think it's verses 13 and 14, or right in that section, you see the, the Son of Man who will crush ultimately the the empires of the world, and himself will rule and reign. So when Jesus used the term son of man, yes, it was a representative term, but it was also a messianic term. So the Bible says, behold, the son of man, the son of man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. Well, that sounds almost like an oxymoron. So he shall be delivered. In other words, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be given over like a prisoner would would have been indicted and brought to jail. Well, that just doesn't fit with Son of Man. If Son of Man is crushing the kingdoms of the world, then how is he here a prisoner who's being led in shackles to religious leaders? It just seems almost like uh, uh, an oxymoron, doesn't it? Well, the Bible says that he shall be delivered and they shall condemn him. They're going to formally indict him. We read all about that. We will read all all about that. How that they had that kangaroo court there at the house of Caiaphas. How that they sought those false witnesses. How that they condemned him because his he quote unquote blasphemed, remember? So Jesus is predicting all of this. He's predicting his arrest. He's predicting his indictment. He's predicting, uh, look at verse number 33, and they shall deliver him to the Gentiles. So remember, uh, the chief priests and the scribes, the Sanhedrin council, they had no real authority to put people to death. Uh, They had to acquiesce to the Roman authorities. That's why in the 
arrest and trial of Jesus, he was indicted by the high priest, but he had no power to do anything about it. He had to bring him to Pilate, remember the Roman procurator, and he had to invent charges of insurrection. He claims to be a king, and that was the the charge. And then ultimately it was Pilate that had to scourge and condemn uh, Jesus. So that's the point. Jesus said, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be indicted. I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles. Verse number 34, and what will they do? The Bible says they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him. Think about the specificity. This is really prophetic, is it not? That Jesus is telling them as they're going to Jerusalem. I think if this were if this were me, if this were I, to be grammatically correct, uh, I would say, oh my, if I know this is going to happen to me there, I'm not going to go there. If I know I'm going to be arrested unjustly, I'm going to be indicted unjustly, I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles unjustly, they're going to mock me, they're going to beat me, they're going to whip me, they're going to spit on me. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's predicting all of what will happen. And from our perspective, all of what did happen. So the Bible says in verse 34, and they shall kill him. That's it. That's their end. They shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. What is this? This is the gospel. Jesus is giving the gospel in and through the lens of his own messianic experience. Remember, we began the study of the book of Mark talking about Jesus preaching uh, the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel is good news. Well, how in the world is it good news that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again? It seems like bad news. Of course it does, because it was that which was necessary to secure all that is good, all that is right. The fact that we have the gift righteousness of Jesus Christ, the fact that we have the promise of eternity, the fact that God has promised to make us just like Jesus, not just in spirit, but in soul and in body, the fact that he has a redemption's plan for us, that is good news. But the good news is affected by the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we're going to come back to this. We're out of time for today. But uh, wow, what clarity, what clarity, what what an important topic to come back to over and over again. Did the disciples finally get it here? Did they finally understand it? I think you'll be interested to know that no, they didn't. And sometimes we don't either. So we'll come back to this passage next time. Verse number 35, we'll start with. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.